0: All right, everybody, let's find a seat, get back to places, 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 people, places. So good to see you all this morning. Welcome, officially, to New Life Church. So glad you're with us uh, on a cloudy day. I'm just glad it's not like 50 degrees like it was last weekend. Last weekend felt like we stepped back to winter. Old man winter. Winter. that's all I can get away with for many reasons awesome it's an exciting day it's been a great month here in our in our community of faith here at New Life Church we started off the month celebrating two years as New Life Church and so it's pretty phenomenal what God has done and today we're ending the month by celebrating obviously always the resurrection of Jesus and we celebrated that two weeks ago many of you were here so thankful for that and some of you were here I'm glad you came back uh, to be with us again today and and so today we're gonna be ending the month with it's a celebration day about three times a year we have what we call heart for the house it's a day really designed for us to be able to celebrate all the great things God has done in the life of of the church and life of people but it's also a day where we get to forecast and talk about what is still ahead Uh, because we don't want to just get stuck in what happened in the yesterday. We want to also keep our ears and our eyes facing forward to the greater things that God wants to do because the Bible tells us that we grow from faith To faith, So that tells us that that we don't need to be satisfied with just last week or last year or an encounter with God 10 years ago. But we need to always look forward to having our hope built, our faith inspired, our spirits made stronger, our souls becoming healthier, and our walk with Christ becoming more concrete. Amen? And so that's what today's about, looking ahead and celebrating all the great things uh, that God has done. And we're going to end our service today with... Um, water baptisms, and then afterwards you're all invited to stay. If you knew about it or not, we uh, sincerely invite you all to stay. We're going to have a fellowship meal uh, right after service uh, that all of you are invited to stick around for, and we'll talk a little more about that because food's always in the mix on Sundays for church people at least. So uh, anyway, hey, listen, yesterday we had a great day, a a gathering of of leaders, volunteers here in our church. We call it Team Day the day we come together to just inspire each other in our faith, strengthen our gifts, strengthen our relationships, and and really find more ways of how we can become really more connected and rooted in the life of New Life Church. I want to say thank you to everyone who who came yesterday, invested your time and your energy and your gifts into into the real life part of of this house and so thank you for being a part of that yesterday let me turn your attention let's get in the word of God today Hebrews chapter 13 it's going to be on the screen as well I'm reading this part of the scripture from the message translation version Hebrews chapter 13 the writer writes this right here in verse 10 says the altar can everyone say altar The altar from which God gives us the gift of Himself is not for exploitation by insiders who grab and loot. In the old system, talking about the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, the animals are killed and the bodies disposed of outside the camp. The blood is then brought inside to the altar as a sacrifice for sin. It's the same with Jesus He was crucified outside the city gates. And that is where he poured out the sacrificial blood... ...that was brought to God's altar... ...to cleanse his people. So let's go outside... ...where Jesus is. Where the action is. So now we're going to pick up our seats... ...and we're going to go outside for an outside service. You guys ready? I'm I'm just teasing. I not what that's talking about. Not trying to be privileged insiders... But taking our share in the abuse of Jesus, not a popular statement, this insider world is not our home. We have our eyes peeled for the city about to come. Let's take our place outside with Jesus, no longer pouring out the sacrificial blood of animals, but pouring out sacrificial praises from our lips to God in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for today. Thank you for the life you give us. Thank you for the church, Jesus, that you gave your life for. There's no perfect church out there, but you are a perfect God in whom we serve. And I'm so thankful that you are faithful to us and you are patient with us. And today, as we enter into your word now, I believe you have something for all of us And I pray and ask that our ears would be attentive, our hearts would be open and receptive, and our lives, O God, would be ready to receive fresh from heaven so that our lives will not stay the same, but we will be changed, transformed, and grow stronger in our faith, more devoted in our love, and more faithful in our commitment to you. I ask now you fill my mouth with your word, Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory and all the honor, I pray now. Everybody who agrees with that can say amen. 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 Today I want to talk to you on this Heart for the House day for a few minutes, a a message that I've entitled, Altars, Sacrifice, and New Beginnings. Altars, Sacrifice, and New Beginnings. Altars have been a part of the history of our faith for a very, very long time. Altars of old... Were primarily used for the making of sacrifice to God in order for the people to stay in right standing with Him by shedding the blood of animals that were made by the high priest. Constantly, that's what they were doing. But now, today, in the, Old, in the New Testament, in the new covenant that we have with our God, we have an altar that Jesus was sacrificed on once and for all for all sins and that altar was called the cross at Calvary. That There's no longer needed a blood sacrifice for God for our sins. What happens now is humanity when we put our faith, our trust, our reliance, our belief in the person of Jesus Christ and believe what he has done for us that his blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sins his blood was the payment for our souls that we become born again. We become what the New Testament later describes as Christians, believers in God, followers of Jesus Christ, and, because, and with that comes the hope and the faith and the belief that our future home is in heaven with our Creator, where there's no, where there's no pain, where there's no misery, where there's no uh, mortgage due, where there's no car note due where there's no uniforms to be worn to school anymore uh, or any of that stuff but where there is life and it is life abundantly and life good but while on earth there is a promise that Jesus gives he said the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come that those who believe in me would have life and have it abundantly so it lets us know on earth we don't have to live in misery we don't have to live hopeless We don't have to live bound by generational curses or sin. But we can live free in the power and the victory that Jesus brings. As long as we put our hope and our faith and our trust, our reliance upon and in the person of Jesus Christ. And that's what we have, this guarantee. And he gives us this guarantee through the Holy Spirit to indwell in the life of people. That you can literally feel God. You can't see him. But Jesus, Colossians describes him as the, 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 the visible image of the invisible God. And then we have his presence by the Holy Spirit to dwell inside of us. And it changes our life. And so, all that happens at a place called the altar. It was about, tw- this summer will be 26 years. I attended a youth revival. And I sat in that service. It was in a church building, traditional church building, not like a makeshift one like today that we have here in our midst in a gymnasium. But do you like our setup, by the way? I mean, we, we our, our folks worked hard on this to create an environment that creates some intimacy, some unity, some, some specialty to it. Thank you all for uh, not patronizing me, but honestly, thanking us for, for that hard work, our people are good, we got good folks that serve in this church, amen? Great volunteers, great leaders, strong people who love the Lord and who care deeply about you. But it was about 26 years ago this summer uh, This summer, and I, and I was set in this youth revival and I sat in that service and I heard the preacher preach and I heard the worship team do their thing and at the end of that message he said, now if you want the Lord and you want him to change your life and you want to know his love then you need to walk down and join me at the altar. And back then, in that church, the altar was was not a a carpet here with a step here. It was one of those benches that laid out. Some of you know what I'm talking about, the altar benches. And it was padded and and all that. It had tissue down there, Kleenex down there. And anyway, I just was sitting near the back, and I remember that time, and I was just like, I I felt like somebody just grabbed me, yanked me right up out of my seat and, and, and... Ushered me down to the front. Nobody physically did that. It just kind of felt like that, that is what I needed to do. So I did. And as soon as I got to the altar, I encountered the love of Christ. I cried so much. I don't think I've cried that much ever in my entire life. I cried so much. It just felt like all oh, whatever junk and anything else in me just seemed to come out. And God was not ashamed of me. But God embraced me at the altar. And that is the kind of altar that we have in Christ Jesus. And that is the kind of altar we have. And here's the thing about altars. They're a place that marks sacrifice, but they are also a place that earmark new beginnings. And that's what I really want to dwell on today for a few minutes, uh, the remaining time that we have. And I want to look at three altars today, really the, the three altars that were created and built by the patriarchs of our faith, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham's altar can be read about in Genesis chapter 22. Basically, here's what happened. God had promised Abraham a son, and through that son he would create and birth a nation, uh, and... P- people that you couldn't count. There's so many outnumber the stars, outnumber the sand on the seashore. But he told him, he said, here's the deal. And Abraham was like 100 when he had this son. And uh, I don't know, no amens at that one. But uh, anyway, he had him. And um, there's a piece of candy there, trying to quietly get it out of the way. And it just couldn't do it. So there was a candy there. I was kicking it out of the way. In case you were wondering what I was doing, that's what I was doing. <laughs> that looks great on camera for everybody. That's awesome. I love our church. We can just be us, right, Sid? Just be us. By the way, don't you love our worship team? I mean, don't they have such passion? Don't they have such heart? They don't care about the spotlight. They don't, they don't care about any of that stuff. They just want to lead us in worshiping God. But Abraham and God had a conversation, and God told Abraham, Hey, you need to take your son. I want you to go up to this mountain where I'd show you, and I want you to sacrifice him. And so he was on his way, and that's what he was about to do. In Genesis 22, verse 9, it'll be on the screen, I believe. you. Yeah, here it is. It says this. When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar. Can you say altar? altar? He built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Jump down, verse 13. Between 9 and 13, an angel... Comes, visits Abraham and tells him to stop. Don't do it. Don't sacrifice. He says, God has seen your heart. He knows you fear him. Don't make that sacrifice. Verse 13. Then Abraham looked up and he saw a ram caught by its thorns in a thicket. And so he took the ram and sacrificed that ram as a burnt offering in the place of his son. Verse 14. Abraham named that place Yahweh Yireh, or we say Jehovah Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. That's where that all Comes from and it started right there. To this day, people still use that name, Jehovah Jireh, as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Now, here's the awesome thing about this Abraham's altar was an altar of provision. The first altar is the altar of provision. Jehovah Jireh, the Lord my God. Will provide. And so in Christ by faith, we have an altar that declares, The Lord my God will provide for me. And the New Testament is written so well, and Jesus really talks about it a lot in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John about how we are to put our trust and our hope in God, and He will provide for us. And basically, I, I just kind of tie it to this right here to an acronym called HOT Honor. If we honor the Lord by putting Him first, oh, if we will obey God, His word teaches us to tithe, to give our offerings, and to be generous with the blessings He gives us, and, and to be good stewards of what He gives us. T, trust. If we will trust Him by seeking His kingdom first, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus outlines it in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all of these things, these things, He's talking about food and clothing and shelter and all our common needs that we stress and worry about and create ulcers in our stomach about. He says, all that stuff, I will take care of you. I will be Jehovah-Jireh to you if you will honor me, obey me, and trust me. How about that? Easier said than done, right? Because we still struggle. We still, in that teaching in Matthew 6, he tells us, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough. I struggle with that one, folks. I just got to level with you. I'm always thinking about tomorrow. I'm always thinking about what I got on my to-do list. I'm always thinking how I'm going to work this, work that, do this, and do that. I'm planning days and days and weeks ahead at times. And, and God just kind of told me just not too long ago, he says, you are disobeying my command." It's okay to plan and be prepared, but quit stressing it. Learn to live daily in my presence. Walk with me. I'm not going to let you forget what I need you to do. I got this. I made this world. I created you. I know how I made you. You don't need to worry about tomorrow. Trust me. Honor. Obey and trust and so in Christ by faith we have an altar that declares the Lord my God will provide for me but folks we got to do our part our part is honor him obey him and trust him if you want to see God provide in your life you've got to honor him you got to obey him and you got to trust him if you want to see him come through and meet your needs you've got to honor him obey him and trust him amen now one of the great things we get to do at Heart for the House is we get to give a financial update about our church. And there's gonna be three slides you're gonna see as I give this update. Again, these financial updates where we uh, believe in accountability, we believe in stewardship, we believe it's one of our core values as a church, we believe in honesty. And, um, and because of that, the way we practice that is we have a board and we have a finance committee and we meet regularly And so these numbers I'm going to show you have already been approved by those folks. So I get to be the mouthpiece to talk about that with you today. Let's toss up that first slide real quick. This is what we shared at the beginning of the year at our Heart for the House in January. The projections on how we felt the Lord was leading us to steward the finances of the church operations, which is facilities, ministries, personnel, 76% of that. Missions, 8. Savings, 9. And debt reduction, 7 Now, if you'll go to the next one, I'll get to show you the actual first quarter, January, February, March, Operation 75, Missions 9, Debt 16, you don't see savings on there because what we did, we took savings and put it into debt reduction, which leads me to the third slide. For the first time in history, this church body is officially debt-free. Just 38 months ago, we were nearly $1.3 million overhead in debt. You know the story, God told us move, sell, come here, do all that. 38 months later, we are now officially debt free. Now, here's, here's what's cool about that we're not broke, we didn't just give all the, uh, the bank our money. No, because we got such good people who help us steward this place and steward this ministry. We got money in savings and we got money in checking. And so, but we are officially debt free. So, what does that mean? Do we just now get casual? What does that mean? We kind of go spend a, a spending spree now? No, no, you're absolutely right. We don't do that kind of stuff. Our aim is to remain debt-free, church. Our aim is to remain debt-free and to remain here for a while. And we pray for God to show us where we're to go next. And I ask you, I ask you guys this uh, a while back, just continue. Please pray with us that God would show us and that we would not lose our patience in the waiting. Because there's a lot of work that has to be done every week in order for this to happen. We don't get to leave this stuff up, and, and that, that takes a lot of strain on people. So please pray for everybody who's a part, and pray for us to, to just not grow weary, as the Bible tells us in Galatians, in well-doing. Amen? So we remain here, remain debt-free, remain in prayer, God, what's next? But it also does this. We, we, we also are aiming... Uh, want want people to come to church. We want people to experience the love of Christ. We want people to begin to walk that process of lifestyle, of discipleship, and following Jesus. So we do. We want to grow. Part of our vision is to grow and expand, to continue to reach and teach and lead people into a life-giving relationship with Jesus. This Easter, just two weeks ago, it was our largest attendance ever on record here at New Life Church. We had 175 people at church pretty powerful it's pretty cool it's pretty cool we had we used every white chair you're sitting in we had none no no chair was left and so you know that's pretty neat but here's the thing in fact i also want to tell you this in two weeks on may 14th which is mother's day mother's day mother's day on may 14th mother's day Easter, the Easter service will be available for purchase on DVD. Because there was a lot of elements involved. We had our, not only our worship team, but we also had our next gen with our creative arts uh, dance ministry was on the stage. Uh, the preacher, was he was mediocre. And, uh, but everything was good. So um, anyway, you'll, those, those DVDs will be available in two weeks if you would like to have a copy of that. We don't generally sell those things, but we do put our messages on audio on our website newlifechurchofjackson.org if you ever want to go back and listen. Just something to keep in mind. So here's the thing. We're in this good place, altar of provision, seeing it happen, praise the Lord. God's faithful to His Word as we're faithful to His Word. Amen? That's how it works. And then here's the thing. This puts us in a place to actually look ahead and see there is greater ministry that lies in front of us. Greater ministry that lies in front of us because after this altar that Abraham built, an angel came again and visited Abraham and told him, Hey look out, I want you to know, God, will bl- God is going to bless you, He's going to multiply you, you can't even count them, as, as many stars as there are and as much sand as on the seashore, that's how great God's going to do things in your midst, Abraham. And as long as we continue to look ahead, trust God and honor Him and obey Him, guess what, the altar of provision works because it's God's altar, it's God's promise, it's God's Word. And I just encourage you, take him up on it. Because there's no way you can explain it, the numbers that God does sometimes. It makes no sense. But when you honor him, obey him, and trust him, it happens. And New Life Church, you guys have made sacrifices. You you, you picked up, you moved with us, you transplanted with us, you replanted with us. We rebooted together as a church family. You've made sacrifices. And because of your sacrifices, New Life Church now has an earmark of a new beginning. And I just wanna say thank you. Thank you for not leaving me to be the only one to move from 1340 North Parkway to 535 Denmark Jackson Road. I didn't didn't wanna start over all by myself. (laughs) And I'm so glad you came. And I'm so glad you've invited others to join us along the way. But there's another altar. Quickly, I gotta get to this altar. The second altar is the altar of Isaac. The altar that Isaac built. His story is found in Genesis chapter 26 about this particular altar. Let's look at this real quick. Isaac had uh, grown up got becoming his own man and got wealthy and, uh, and doing well, had a lot of livestock, had a lot of animals and all those things. He was doing really good and, he, and the thing about it is uh, people got jealous. Philistines got jealous, others got jealous and so what they did they put dirt in Isaac's wells. The wells were the wellspring of life, water for his animals, for, for his own well-being. They put dirt in his wells. And so God said, hey, why don't you, and they said, you just need, need to move on out of here. You need to move. You need to transplant yourself somewhere. So Isaac picked up everything he had, his family, his, his servants, his livestock, everything, and began to move. He got to another place, dug a well, and somebody got mad, and they wanted that well. So they left that well, and they moved on, dug another well. Somebody else wanted it. They took it. Isaac then went on to another place and dug a well, and nobody wanted that well, but it was a good well, and he named that place Rehoboth. He named that place Rehoboth. And, and then he, he moved on from there, and he went to a place called Beersheba, and here's where we pick up in verse 25. Genesis 26, 25, and it says, Then Isaac built an altar. Can you say altar? Built an altar there and worshipped the Lord. He set up his camp at that place, and his servants dug another Well, And then another guy by the name of King Abimelech came and said, Hey, you know what? We don't want your people to cause us harm. We don't want harm from us to you. So will you sign a peace treaty with us? And then verse 32, it says, That very day Isaac's servants came and told him about a new well they had dug and said, We have found water. So Isaac named the well Sheba, which means oath. And to this day, the town that grew up there is called Beersheba, which means... Well of beer. I mean it's our well of the oath. <laughs> just want to make sure you were still listening. Dude, I didn't bore you to death. All, uh, Isaac's altar is an altar of restoration. An altar of restoration. People would put dirt in his wells. Instead of filing lawsuits and getting mad at him and taking revenge, he just moved on. Somebody took that well you can have it, I'll go on, dig another well. You can have it, I'll dig another well. Oh, finally, nobody wants this well. And so here's what happens. That is the place where Isaac built an altar, an altar of restoration. But here's what happened. There was twofold part to this, to this particular story of well digging and altar building. The first place was called Rehoboth, which means wide open spaces, wide open spaces. So... Here's one of the first things that it tells us about God. When God restores your life, He restores it with room to expand. Room to grow. Room to grow. But then it also teaches us when He he set up camp and dug a well that a place called Beersheba, which means well of oath, it resulted in peace. So when God restores your life, He restores peace to it. And I really can't think of a greater need In the soul of a human being, than having peace. Peace with themselves, peace with God, peace with their fellow man. The world could be stir crazy around you, people could hate your guts, but if you've got peace, the Bible describes it, peace that surpasses all understanding. When it shouldn't make sense that I should have such peace, you can have that kind of peace. And I can't think of a greater thing than what any soul, if you ever, any human being can need, is that is God's peace that says, it's all all right. I know it doesn't look okay. I know it doesn't feel all right. But I'm telling you, God says, it's all right. Because if you make me God of your life, then I restore peace to you that you don't have to go through this world (laughs) cray-cray. You don't have to live out of sorts. You don't have to live out of balance. You don't have to live with chaos. You don't have to live with confusion. You don't have to live with your head in the dirt. No, God is the glory and the lifter of your head. And the more we put our hope and our faith and our trust in Jesus, He restores Sure, there's a lot of problems. Sure, we got our own issues, and there's enough to go around, enough to make us sad, enough to make us depressed, enough to make us feel downtrodden. But the great thing, in fact, David said of this, when he was in a real bad place, when Saul the king was after him, and everybody didn't want want anything to do with him, he was all on his own, and he had a few folks who were willing to follow him, but those folks, the Bible says, were broke, busted, and disgusted people. But they wanted David. And David said, I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. How can a person who has everything against them still stand and look to heaven and say, I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord. The only way that happens is when our souls have been restored by the Jesus who died for us. When you got hell pressing against you, you got people bumping up on you, and you got bill collectors calling on you, and you got sickness all up in your body or in somebody's body that you know, how can you have peace when you know whom your savior is? When you know who the one who lifts your head in the midst of a drowning day of despair, Jesus. I would have despair. Come on, folks, all of us, we all have enough stuff going on and have that's going on in our life that we would have despaired. We would have said, forget this Jesus thing, forget this God thing. I got enough issues in my own life. I would have despaired unless I had believed. I dug a well, Isaac said, they put dirt in it. I dug a well and they took it from me. I dug a well and they, t- they took it from me. What else do you want, God? Dig another well. Dig another well. And I'll show you what restoration looks like. I'll show you what restoration looks like. And here's the thing. In Christ, by faith, we have an altar that declares the Lord our God restores He restores. And here's the great news about that too. God wants to use your life to help somebody else know the reality that He is a God who restores. He restores your life with room to grow and He restores your life with peace that surpasses all understanding. And that's why we're so adamant about our church not forsaking the Great Commission. I told our church about four years ago that I will do everything in my power, everything in my responsibility, everything that I can in my leadership to make sure that the Gospel and the Great Commission are not taking a back seat. So that's part of the reasons of the whys behind our move and our thing and where we're at and what we're doing and why God, I believe, is blessing us because we don't want the Gospel and the Great Commission to take a back seat. We believe in empowering the next generation Part of our Great Commission focus is to help send our young people to summer camp every year. Sure, they pay for a lot of it, but we help offset some of that. And actually, we scholarship a few people along the way. We want to make sure that every young person has an opportunity to encounter the living God every summer because there's just something special about summer camp. It's not in the Bible. At least I haven't found it yet in the summer camp. But they're not in school. And they're not around their normal routine. They're pulled away, and they're out by themselves with others of like mind, and God just somehow sees that, and he says, I see that hungry heart. I see that thirsty soul. I see that broken vessel. I see that that one who's down, whose hope feels hopeless. I see you. I see you. I see you. And somehow in summer camp, man, our kids experience the glory of God. So that's part of our great commission. We want to help send them to do that. Part of our great commission is also locally. Pastor Lindsay expounded on that earlier during the offering, how we are reaching out beyond our four walls, our four walls of curtains here, and we are reaching out into the community to help make sure these people in our city know that God restores. But we also go globally. We go around the world. We've got, we've got missionaries in... Uh, South Africa, missionaries in Malawi. We've helped support missionaries on the Apache and Navajo Indian Reservation right here in the United States. We also are a partner with a, a, a Christian school here in this, in this place called Family Christian School. In fact, you're going to see some of those students here in a few minutes get water baptized as a result of your faithfulness to see that the Great Commission is on the front and not the back. Amen. All right, I got to quit. I got to get to this last one here. You guys flow on with me? So we got the God of Abraham, the altar of provision, the God of Isaac, the altar of restoration. Now you see the God of Jacob, the altar of transformation. His story is found about this altar in Genesis 35. Verse 1, it says Then God said to Jacob, Get ready and move to Bethel and settle there. Build an altar there. There it is, altar. Can you say altar? "...build an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau." Verse 7. So Jacob built an altar there and named the place El Bethel, which means God of Bethel... ...because God had appeared to him there when he was fleeing from his brother Esau. And then God has a little visit with Jacob. And he visits him and he tells him, "...hey, I want you to know something about me. For the first time ever, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing and disclosing this part of me," God says to, to Jacob... And he says, I am El Shaddai. Well, if you don't know what that means, that means God Almighty. So to Jacob, he's telling him for the first time into the human ears, God is saying, I am God Almighty. We sang a song about it just a few minutes ago. Pretty cool. Pretty powerful. He said, I am God Almighty. He tells him, be fruitful be multi- be, and multiply. Go about doing what God's called you to do. And here, here I want you to know something. Jacob, as God Almighty... I'm going to change your name from Jacob to Israel. In other words, it lets us in on the inside of how God works. God says, I have the power to change your life. I'm not just a nostalgic God. I'm not a God you read about in history books. I'm not a God who's just written down in pages. I'm not a God you search about on the internet. I'm not a God you just go to and bow to on a Sunday or a Saturday or whatever day you choose to go. I am a God who lives and who breathes, and I am among you. And not only will I be a God with you, but I will be your God to you and your God in you, that I will fill your life. You will be my children, and I will be your God. It's personal, God says. I will make it personal, going back to my Easter message for a minute, I will make it personal to you that you won't just know me from a distance, you will know me up front and close. And so God tells Abraham that, and then skip on down, verse 14, it says, Jacob set up a stone pillar to mark the place where God had spoken to him, then he poured wine over it as an offering to God and anointed the pillar with olive oil, and Jacob named the place Bethel, which means house of God. Because God had spoken to him there. So here's the thing about the, the God of Jacob, the altar of transformation. Twofold in this. One, God transforms Jacob's life when he's all alone. He did that in uh, Genesis 32 when Jacob was left all alone with God. He sent his whole family over the Ford River of Jabbok. And God visited him when he was all alone. In fact, touched his hip and caused Jacob to walk with a limp. Therefore, his life was altered and his life was changed. And God visits him here and he tells him, I'm going to change your name. In other words, Jacob, this is for real. Transformation is going to really happen in your life. It's not just going to be something you hear about, other people might talk about. No, it's going to be something you really do encounter. You really do experience. Your life is going to be different. Your life is going to change. I'm so glad that God met me at the altar 26 years ago and I didn't get up the same. I got up changed. And for 26 years, he's been changing me. For 26 years, he's been working on me. For 26 years, he's been doing a whole lot in my life, showing me that he is El Shaddai, God Almighty. That he has the power to revolutionize my life. And he has the power to change yours too. He is God Almighty. So when Jacob was all alone, but it was also where Jacob named this place Bethel, which means house of God, where God appeared to him. So not only did Jacob encounter him alone in private, Jacob encountered him in the house of God. So how does God transform our life? What does he use? What does he do? Well, he changes you personally, visits you and helps you daily, transforms your life. When you meet with him, put him first every day, walk with him, have a relationship with him. Learn what that means in growing and maturing in that. But then he also meets you in the house of God. That this isn't just a waste of our Sunday morning. This isn't just a thing where we need to put something on the boards and on the calendar to say, okay, we did this for you today, Lord. No, it's a place not only where we meet each other, but it's also a place where we truly meet God. We come here to meet the living God. Amen. Have you felt God's presence in this house today? You felt the presence of the Lord today? Amen. That's a sign that God loves you, that God wants to be with you, that God wants to transform your life, that we will not ever be the same again, which is why it's so imperative that we understand that in Christ by faith we have an altar that declares the Lord our God has the power to transform my life as I encounter Him by myself, And I encounter him in the house of God. See, don't don't, don't discount what can happen on a Sunday. Don't discount what can happen in a time when a church gathers together. God shows up and God displays himself in mighty ways. And so part of our vision as a church is to continue to have consistent gatherings weekly. We do this today on Sundays. We have midweek on Wednesdays with different things. We have life groups and fellowship groups that meet throughout the different months of the year They get together and build community. I was just talking with a brother this morning. He was sharing with me a great victory in his life. And he said, you know, one of the greatest things that I have going for me outside and inside of Jesus is this, is that I have a community of believers who walk with me, who encourage me, so I was having a bad day the other day, a rough day. The enemy was high on my heels. Anybody ever have a day like that where the enemy is just high on your heels and you can't shake him? He's like, quit, ch-, like, quit chasing me. I'm tired of this. I don't want to do what you want me to do and all that. And he's like, yeah, the enemy was after me. I was, I was trying to fight it. So I texted and called a few friends in the faith. They prayed for me, and they even sent me texts throughout the day. And he said, I left that night going home from work feeling as high as a kite, and I didn't smoke nothing either, he said. <laughs> I didn't didn't do any of that. But it's community in the house of God. I would not be standing before you right now. I wouldn't be a pastor. I wouldn't call myself a Christian. I wouldn't be doing anything for the Lord if I didn't have real community in my life. If I didn't have real friends. If I didn't have real leaders. If I didn't have people who just got real with me. Look me in my face and say, What are you doing? You know, sometimes we need a conversation like that and we need to be on the receiving end because sometimes we don't know what we're doing. Sometimes we get it wrong. Sometimes we get off track. Sometimes we, we, we lose the way. We lose ourselves, And we need people of faith in our life to come up to us and say, hey, what are you doing? Get back in track. Get back in line. You don't belong there. You belong with God. Hey, I have to do that with Pastor Prentice every now and again. <laughs> he just seems to lose his way sometimes. And, I just have to get right real with him and pull him back into the faith and to the fold. No. Actually, it's the opposite way around. It's what he does with me. The altar of provision. The altar of restoration. The altar of transformation. I love it. In just a minute, I'm going to go ahead and give you guys an opportunity. Those who are being baptized, if you can, go ahead quietly excuse yourself and go get changed. and give you a few minutes to get ready. and Miss um, Lori if you could could you come on back up on the keys for us it's a pretty big day folks going public with their faith taking a stand in Christ. I'm going to do this. I'm going to serve the Lord. I will follow. No turning back. I will follow. Listen to this in Psalm 18. It's not on the screen. It wasn't planned. It just happens. This is David. And this was on the day. David sang this psalm on the day that God truly delivered him from all of his enemies and from King Saul to no longer chase him down. David said these words I love you Lord you are my strength the Lord is my rock my fortress my Savior my God is my rock in whom I find protection he is my shield the power that saves me and my place of safety I called on the Lord who is worthy of praise and he saved me from my enemies you call on him with a sincere heart God will answer the ropes of death entangled me floods of destruction swept over me the grave wrapped its ropes around me and death laid a trap in my path but in my distress in the middle of your mess. I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. Says, you light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. If you've got a dark life, if you've got a dark path, If you will sincerely call on the Lord, He will be your light. He will be your light.
1: He says, in your
0: strength, I love this. In whose strength? God's strength. In your strength, God, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. think about it where's your faith today is it in a nostalgic historical Jesus or is it in the real person of Jesus that he gives you strength that you can't really describe he gives you ability that you can't take credit for. Come on. You're looking at a guy who got so nervous in middle school, and high school, I could not stand in front of my class to give a speech that you're graded for. I'd rather take an F than stand up in front of people. With my God, He gives me strength. In your strength, Love it. I can crush an army. With God, I can scale any wall. What stands in front of you today? What need is so great in your life that you have allowed to be bigger than the loving, living person? One of the things the Lord is really reteaching me this year is how much He loves me. See, I have a bad habit of getting lost in what I do for Him more than who I am in Him. Part of my giftings that God graced me with. One is serving. So I express love by doing. Nothing wrong with it. It's just if not careful, I find identity in doing instead of just being. So he's reteaching me. Son, I love you for who you are, not for what you can do. And I'm so glad of that. I'm so glad of that because I wonder how many in here, you don't raise your hand, how many in here feel like you fail God, like you let him down. And as a result, you feel like your purpose and your destiny is not going to happen. I want to tell you the truth, the reality of God, is that he loves you not for what you do, but for who you are and if you will put him first and you will aim to just live a life focused on him he works everything out doesn't mean it always goes my way and when it doesn't go my way I can throw a temper tantrum or I can take Father God by the hand and I can say I trust you lead me. Don't ever leave me. Don't ever forsake me. And in fact, he gave us that promise. He'll never do that. Some of you here today, I sense you feel like God has abandoned you. And friend, I want to tell you, God has not left you. Your mistakes, they're not bigger than God's love. Your messes are not greater than the sacrifice of Jesus. It doesn't matter what As long as you sincerely look to Him. Amen. Can you bow your head and let me pray for you? And we're going to transition. Father God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you for what you did on the cross of Calvary through Jesus Christ, your Son. Who made the ultimate sacrifice. The shedding of His blood. For the forgiveness of our sins. And today I pray, Lord, any one of us here today who've never accepted that or we've walked away from it, we've allowed the enemy to deceive us, for whatever reason, today you welcome us home. With your heads bowed, if there's anyone here today that you want to just say, hey, pray for me. I want to know the love of God for the first time or I want to know the love of God again. I need to be reminded that Jesus has not left me, that he is still after me and he loves me and he has a purpose for my life. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. Just lift your hand so I can pray for you. See the hand. See that hand. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you for being honest. Let me pray for you. Father God, you see the hands, you see our hearts. You see the reality of our souls, the condition of our life where we are. And God, where we have not trusted you for everything, especially salvation, and we've not trusted you for the life, the daily life you call us to live for you, please forgive us now. Lord, we repent, we turn from it, and we look to you. We turn to you to walk in your direction. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, fill our lives fresh and anew. Continue daily to remind us of the reality that you love us and that you're great. And that you fill our life full and complete. We don't need anything else. We don't have to have the latest whatever. It's in you. Happiness, contentment, joy, everything is in you. I pray you make that a reality. Seal that in our hearts today, O God. And help us daily to trust you at the altar of provision. The altar of restoration. And you are the God who also has an altar of transformation. That you change our lives for the good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can everybody say amen to that?